so unbelievably faithful. Um, Gary was an elder uh, on our elders team for many years. Gary and Kathy were on our elders team for many years. And uh, he's a really good teacher. But here's what I like the most about Gary. Um, He has gone through tremendous trials for many years. And yet he has been faithful. Always, I always see him reading the word, praying, leading prayer meetings, leading connect group, loving God. And his primary gift that I believe is an encourager. Even in his areas, even when he is... uh, even when he has discouragement in his own life, he's encouraging others. He's always been a support and encouragement to me and hope personally. I really love and respect Gary Mancini. So let's welcome him as he brings our Thanksgiving message today. Oh, wait. Iowa. From saying that, an Iowa Hawkeye to say that is pretty amazing. Colorado Buffalo. What's your guys' chant? Go Buffs. That's kind of weak. We got the best mascot in college football, Ralphie the Buffalo. You've seen Ralphie. That's his name, Ralphie. I think it's Ralphie the Sixth, isn't it? He's been around a long time. Happy Thanksgiving in the house. Hey, uh, it's a great holiday, isn't it? I love it. It's actually one of my favorite holidays. I like it. I actually really like it a lot because you don't have all of the the uh, stress of buying presents and, you know, dealing with all that. You can just be thankful. Yeah. The time to sit down and be thankful. And uh, it's uh, it's interesting because we, uh, John started off up front talking about what are you thankful for? Think about the things you're thankful for. And that's what I was going to have you do. So you've already done that. We, uh, at, our, at our family dinner, and we had... Uh, 16, all 16 of us together this year, which was neat. We do, we do that. We like to share, okay, what do you, what's the one thing you're most thankful for? And what we found was nobody could just say one thing. They were just going on and on and on. We've been so blessed. And, um, but as we were talking about it, I really wanted to bring it back to that one thing. In fact, one of the songs that we sang today was talking about that one specific thing. Kind of like, uh, uh, what, Curly and City Slicker said, remember, there's one thing. What's the one thing you're really most thankful for? And, and as I thought about it, uh, what, what really came to me is I am so thankful that God created me to have relationship with him and, and, and created a plan for my life. And it's that way for every one of you. When you think about it, what is more special than to have the creator of the universe say, I want to have a relationship with you, my creation. That's, that's unbelievable. And so as we think about that, we see in the Bible, there are just from the, from the beginning in Genesis all the way through Revelation, there are many, many illustrations of that plan that God has for each of us. And we, we see it, you know, we saw it. There are many types and shadows of Jesus Christ as he's presented throughout the books of the Bible all the way through. But, you know, we've seen it in, we saw it in the, uh, in the Egyptian captivity and then how God brought them out and delivered them out of the captivity. You know, we saw it through the Passover at that time when, when he prepared a Passover way for them to leave Egypt. And, and David was a type of Jesus. And, and it, you know, we can just go on and on and on to see all the different plans 
or the plan that God had, and he illustrated it in so many different ways. And that's what I want to speak about today. And one of those ways that he, he did that was through Moses' tabernacle. And so we're going to spend some time looking at the tabernacle, the wilderness tabernacle. But before I do that, I want to ask you, how many of you are visual learners? I'm a visual learner. And behaviorists tell us that about 65% of people are visual learners. doesn't matter your gifting, your intelligence, anything else. Six, about two out of three of us are visual learners. And I believe that's why God uh, gives us this beautiful picture of the tabernacle in the wilderness. And he carries it on through, all the way through Revelation, as you'll see as we, we share about it. But it's, it's such a special way to tell us what his redemptive plan is for us and, and, the, and the beautiful detail of it. It's such a rich, rich teaching. And there's so much in the teaching. It's, over, it's in over 50 chapters of the Bible. Talking about the tabernacle, the priests, and their, their ministry. Over 50 chapters. It's the, more chapters are devoted to this very topic than any other topic in the Bible. So God has a lot to say about it. And so there's so, there's so much there. We're just going to do a very high-level overview of it today because there's just so much detail that we really can't dig into it. But it's a beautiful picture of God's love for us and his plan for each of us. When, when, Egypt, uh, when uh, the Israelites left Egypt and they were out wandering in the wilderness, during that first year, if you remember, they got to um, Mount Sinai and God called Moses up to Mount Sinai several times and started revealing things to him. Remember that? One of the things he gave him was the Ten Commandments. And we always think of Moses coming down with the mountain with the Ten Commandments. But the other thing that he revealed to him during that time was the plan for the tabernacle and what it meant and, and, and all of the things that went with the tabernacle. He really laid out a plan of drawings like an architect would receive on how to build this tabernacle. And he went into great detail, detail to cover that. So let's look here first at the, the, the slide of the tabernacle. And I'm going to just show you a couple of things here that will make it clear as we, as we go through the presentation. But uh, up here, let's see if that goes that far. I guess it doesn't. No, I, my pointer's not. No, see, it comes down. It doesn't go that far. No, I know, it's on the curtains, but when I come down, it doesn't go that far. Up in the right-hand corner... You'll see the, that's a, an America football field, like one like the Buffaloes played on yesterday. <laughs> but then down underneath it is the court of the tabernacle, which is about 30% in size of a football field. And so then you can see here the picture of the tabernacle. And so uh, uh, what the, the Lord, he gave Moses this plan and said, basically he said, if you build it, I will come. He said, if you... Make a sanctuary for me. I will dwell among you. This was his promise to us. And so what we can see here, and I'm just going to point out a couple of key things here, and then we're going to work our way through the presentation and speak in more detail. But first of all, you can see that there was a, a white linen fence that went all the way around the tabernacle area. Now, when they, they would set up the tabernacle, then God even had a plan on where each of the tribes was supposed to position themselves. Some were to the east, some were to the west, some were to the north, some were to the south. And he specified exactly where they needed to be. You'll see down here on the bottom side, there's the entrance curtain. There was one entrance curtain, one gate into the tabernacle. 
Then as we go inside, the first thing you see there is uh, you go past, um, past the, the guy with the bull and you'll see there's a big square thing. That's the, um, the altar. We'll talk about the altar. Then in front of it is the, the brazen laver, laver. That's right outside the tent itself. Now the tent of the tabernacle was very detailed in the way it was laid out. And, and you can see on top that there were four layers of skins. There's a great deal of significance in those skins. The type of animals, there was, a, there was linen, then there was a goat, uh, ram, and then um, uh, seal or porpoise, uh, water porpoise, seal for the, the, the covering. And we could spend time, but we just don't have time today to go into that detail. And then within it, you'll see there's the first area, which is the, the um, holy place. And then in the very back is the most holy place, and it was separated with a veil or a curtain. So I'm going to start talking about that, and we'll show you some close-up pictures of those things uh, as it's appropriate. But the, the, the first thing is that in, this, in, this, um, in God's plan to put this all together, he gave us great detail on all of the different items, the furniture, the way it was to be built, the sizes, the type of materials. Who was supposed to build it? He listed the craftsmen. Great detail. Fifty chapters worth of detail. And, um, and he did all of that because he wanted to, he wanted to speak to us and, and talk to us about the way that there really is. We can't come to God in our own terms. We have to come to him in his terms. And so that's why he made it very specific on how we can come to him. And that's his whole purpose. I love, the, I love what's gone on here today. Um, in our pre-service prayer, there was, a, there was one, one prayer that was made by one of the intercessors that was right on uh, about talking about God's desire. His main desire is for us to have presence, uh, be in his presence. That's his desire for us. And then if you'll watch the verses we're going to go through today, when John did the introduction and then when he did his, the introduction for prayer, probably four or five of the verses that we're going to share today were quoted this morning. It's, God has such a, a deep desire for us to dwell among his people. Uh, in John, we, we read that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word dwelling here, Jesus came to dwell among us. And that's the same word as tabernacle. Jesus came to tabernacle with us. Again, this, this tabernacle that God gave us was a picture, and we're going to see how it pointed in so many ways to Jesus and to God's total plan for our life. And one of the ways is Jesus came to tabernacle with us. And when he walked around us, he really did fulfill the picture of this tabernacle that we're going to be looking at today. This was a prophetic picture that God gave us to show us his redemptive plan for our life and what his, what his goal is for each one of us. And he tells us why. It's a beautiful picture. So the, t- the, the tabernacle was more than a dwelling place. It was really God's way of talking to us about the relationship that he wanted to have with each one of us. The relationship that he wants to have with you and me. So, um, he said in, in uh, a couple of verses in Exodus, he said, Make this tabernacle and all of its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Again, it was a very detailed pattern, very specific. So he talked about um, uh, all of these details, and that's the first point that I want to make here, that God gave us this detailed plan to teach us 
the blessings of being obedient. So he gave Moses this list of details, and he brought it down and shared it with, with Israel. And, and the purpose was to say, look, here's, here's how the things that you need to do so that we can have a relationship. He was teaching, the, teaching them obedience and submission to his authority. And, you know, when, we, when, we, um, when you compare that to the consequences of disobedience, and the impact that it has on our lives. Many times we think, okay, God, you know, is God trying to control us? He wants us to obey and to submit to his authority because that's control. That's not it at all. The thing is, he loves us so much and he knows the consequences of disobedience. He knows that when we rebel, what it does to our life and the impact it can have on our life and our family's life. And it's a, it's a, it's a huge impact. I was thinking about it um, on Thanksgiving Day when we're sitting around that table and I thought... Man, it was really humbling. I thought, Lord, if I hadn't made a decision to follow you 40, I think it was 43 years ago, we might not be in this place right now. I hear all these blessings that are going around all the family. But if I hadn't made that commitment to the Lord, which then led to Kathy making a new commitment to the Lord, and then together we made a commitment on how to raise our family, we could be in a totally different place today. That's the blessing of submission and obedience, but we see the other side, the consequences of disobedience. And I think, I think John shared this some time ago. There, you know, there was a study done uh, um, of the Edwards and the, and the Jukes families. I think you've shared it, haven't you? No? So in, in the late 1800s, there was a study done that was looking at the study in education and training of people, and the impact it has on, on heredity. And so they, they took one family, Jonathan Edwards and his wife Sarah. They were strong believers. In fact, Jonathan said, I love this, I love this motto that he lived by, never do any, I never do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Isn't that a good motto to live by? So he and Sarah raised their family that way. And we look at their heritage because they had a godly heritage and the impact it had on their family. They had one U.S. vice president in their heritage, three senators, U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. Isn't that powerful? Because they chose to live godly and, it, it, and God blesses them and it, and it causes blessings to flow through their family. Now, they found this other family, and his name is Max Jukes, and he was in prison. This part of it, they're now saying, may not be completely true based on these numbers, but it's still a good illustration because you can look around and find anyone. I know a number of people that would fit into this. So Max Jukes was not living a good life. He was disobedient and rebellious, and he was in, in prison. So they looked at his family and went through his descendants, and they found seven murderers, 60 thieves, 50 women of bad living, debauchery, 130 other convicts, 400 that were physically wrecked by indulgent living. Now, that may not be 100% true for this, this particular family, but you do see when people move into sin, you see the impact that it has on their lives and the lives of their kids, and it just goes on and on when, they're dis, when we're disobedient and disobey. You with me? Yeah. Um, so that's why God... Stress so much. I want you to learn to be obedient and submit to authority. And so I'm going to give you this plan to build the tabernacle. 
So now let's look at the tabernacle. Uh, you'll see here that there are three parts. There's the, um, the outer court, that, the, the, the square, the outer courtyard. Then you go and you can see that it's listed as the holy place and then the most holy place. And there are a lot of different ways that we could tie into this. But one of them is that the outer court really, really represent, uh, represents man. It repre- this, this, this picture represents man. The outer court represents our body, our physical body. That's the outer court. Then when we move into the holy place, that really becomes our mind, our will, and emotions. Okay, our emotional man, our heart. Then we move into the holy of holies. That moves into our spirit. So we see a picture of God laid out a picture of how he created man to be a triune being, just as he, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are a triune being. And he gave us an illustration of that here in the tabernacle. And so with that, then you'll see that we have um, all the other, the other parts around it. Let's first look at the fence and the gate. The fence is a beautiful picture. It was about it was seven and a half feet tall, and it was made of white linen. And it was, um, uh, it was, as it was put up with the posts, remember, this was a portable tabernacle that they moved throughout the wilderness for 39-some years. This whole plan was given to them about... Actually, the first tabernacle was set up. This is amazing. It was set up on the, annual, the year anniversary of their Passover when they left Egypt. Now, Passover was a picture of Jesus Christ coming out from under the blood. Then, one year later to the day is when they, they set up the first tabernacle. And so, with this, that fenced-in area really speaks about the protection of God. Once you enter in to tabernacle with the Lord, you're protected. Your body, your soul, your mind and heart, and your spirit are under his protection. And we see that in a number of verses. The 23rd Psalm, he talks about the Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd is the overseer, the one who really does oversee our life. Protects us. Look how a shepherd protects his sheep, his lambs. Takes them to good, good food, good grass, to good clean water. Protects them from the wolves. He's the protector. In another place where he's called in Genesis, Jehovah Roy, my protector, the one who sees me. So the fence is, gives us a picture of God who wants to protect us. If we will tabernacle with him. He's just calling us, people, please come and tabernacle with me. Okay, he's going to protect us. Then we see another thing the white linen speaks of is the righteousness of God. He's pure. He's righteous. And we enter into that righteousness when we enter in into that uh, tabernacle with him. It also talks to us about, if we look in Revelation, he speaks to us about the, we are the bride of Christ, that he's preparing, right? He's preparing the bride of Christ, and one of the things the bride of Christ is pre- being prepared is to wear white linen. So this shows us that we are, this is God's way of preparing us to be able to tabernacle with him and be the bride of Christ that he's calling us to be. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, no one comes to me except through the Father. And I, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself here. The gate, the, the, next, the next picture here is the gate. And that's the only way that we can come into to Jesus. If you can uh, go to the next slide, please. So we have this white linen fence, and then in one area, there's a 30-foot area. Uh, I guess I didn't have the picture of that up. I'm sorry. We have this 30-foot area where there's a gate, and it's a multicolored gate. It's, it's, it's uh, uh, purple, or it's blue, and scarlet, 
and purple. And it's this multicolored gate so that you can't miss where you come in. The gate, there's only one way to come into that tabernacle relationship with, with God. It's through that one gate. And so he makes it really clear. There is one gate. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the gate for us. So then, once we walk through that gate, then the first thing that we do see is this brazen altar. Now, the altar is, uh, just so you can kind of visualize it, it's seven and a half feet square. So seven and a half feet in both directions, a big square, five feet high. It has these big horns on the corners. And uh, this is where the, um, the, uh, the sacrifices were to take place. The word altar in the Hebrew word really means to slay or to, um, to slaughter. Okay, so we have this altar, to slay or to slaughter. And the word altar actually means it's a place that's high and lifted up. So this altar is a place that's high and lifted up to bring sacrifice to God. They give you a picture of Jesus when he went to Golgotha, the high hill. And he was lifted up on a cross, high and lifted up as our sacrifice. So this altar is set up there, and it's a place for burning the, the animal sacrifices. And it, 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 it spoke to man to say, you know, the first thing, if you want to come into a relationship with me, and you want to truly want to tabernacle with me, you've got to, you've got to be cleansed by the blood of an innocent Innocent creature. That's what, they were, that's what they were taught. That's what this altar was set for. It was for a sin offering to, to, to cleanse them. And so they would bring their offering. And it was always a male, a male animal, a male goat, a male lamb, a bull, without blemish. A male without blemish. Another picture of Jesus. The one that was without blemish. And they'd lay their hands on the sacrifice and they'd transfer their sin to that animal so that they could then hand it over to the priest and the priest would slaughter it, would take some of the blood and, and would sprinkle it in the holy place. We'll, we'll speak about that in a minute. He would burn the sacrifice on the altar and then he would pour the rest of the blood right there at the altar to make the sacrifice to cleanse them so they could come into that relationship with God. And we see several verses here in Leviticus. It says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you. Think about this. God gave us the animals to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It's the blood that makes the atonement for one's life. So God prepared a way for us to come and make atonement for that sin that's in our life. And then we're also told in Hebrews that the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. We all must be cleansed to come into relationship with God. We're imperfect beings. He's a perfect being. And so we're asked to make ourselves a living sacrifice. Aren't we told in Hebrews? Submit yourselves and make yourself a living sacrifice. So this sacrifice comes through Jesus the work he did on the cross, but it also comes from us being obedient and, and submitting to the authority, and that's what it really means to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. I, I'm convinced that we can come to God in different degrees, and as we kind of march through all these different, these different uh, pictures that we're going to look at here in the tabernacle, we can come in and we can accept the sacrifice that Jesus did for us and become a believer. But many of us stop right there. And we don't keep pressing on. 
See, the whole goal is we're going to press on to come into that place in the Holy of Holies where we can truly enter into His presence. And we talk about being a presence-driven church, and we are, and I love that. But I think it all comes in degrees. Now, I just want to challenge each one of us as we're, as, we're, as we're listening and letting the Lord speak to us today. What can I be doing differently in my life to push in harder and to press in more, to run that race that Paul talks about? The next thing we look at is the laver, which is made of bronze. Now, this is a wash basin. And you can see it's really two wash basins. There's one to wash where the priest would wash his hands and his face. And then there's one where he would wash his feet. And the thing about the laver is it was made out of bronze. And it was highly polished like a mirror. So when they looked over into it, they actually saw a reflection of themselves. The um, application for us today obviously is we're told that the Word of God, that we're to wash ourselves in the, with the Word of God, that we're to look into the Word of God like a mirror. Paul talks to us about that. That um, we want to, as we continue to be washed in His Word, after we've come through salvation, a salvation experience at the altar, and we press into His Word and we're washed in His Word and we cleanse ourselves so that we can really start to become the man and woman of God that we've been called to be, so that we can minister to those that He's calling us to minister, so that we can, we can accomplish the things that He's the calling that He has in our life, the destiny that He has for each one of you. And that it's through the Word that we're able to walk into that place. We're told that Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word, and to present her to Himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but truly holy and blameless. We cannot get there if we're not bathing ourselves in God's Word. Regularly, daily. I know there's times when I, when I, I just go by a, the day and don't, don't get into his word. Sometimes it's more than a day. And when I come back into it, I say, oh, Lord, I can't believe I deprived myself of this because it's so refreshing as I get back into his word. Why did I skip those days of setting down with you? That's, you know, that's the discipline, discipline of obedience James talks about how we can be like a man that looks in a mirror and then when he turns away from the mirror, he forgets what he looks like. The only way we can truly come into an understanding of our identity in Christ and who we are in Jesus Christ is as we spend time in his word in that mirror. Because that builds us up and strengthens us so we really come to understand who, what our identity is, who we are. We don't want to be like James that turns away and forgets what he looks like. So we want to stay in the mirror. The, um, so then we get past the laver and wa the, the priest would wash themselves to be clean and pure so they could move in to the holy place. And in the holy place, there were three, there were three uh, items. On the left is the golden lampstand. On the right is the sh table of showbread. And then in the back is the altar of incense, the golden altar of incense. So we'll talk about those three things. The... Um, the golden lampstand was, was hammered out of one piece of gold. 
Now think about this. So they took one piece of gold. We don't know how big it was, but it was one piece of gold. And it was, uh, there, was three, there were seven branches. There was a, one branch, the main branch. And then you can, if you go to the next slide, uh, Rob, I think we've got a picture of the lampstand. So you can see there's a central branch, and then there are six branches that come off of it. And they all look like almond branches. There's, there's uh, blossoms and buds and almonds on those branches that go up to the, where the cups are made to hold the oil and the wick for the burning of the lampstand. And the almond tree throughout the Bible talks to us about God watching over us to fill, fulfill his provision and promises in our life. So he had them make that, the, the golden lampstand to look, look like that. And within, within each of those branches, we'll see that Jesus is really the main branch, and we're all, the other six branches that are coming off of him represent us. He was the vine, and we are the branches coming off of him because he's the true light of the world. Jesus is the true light that gives light to every man. Remember, they're in this tent now. They're in a tent that's totally dark. And they, they can't see where they are or what's going on in there. It's pitch black except for the golden lampstand. And so they were told that to light that lampstand in the morning and to trim it again at night and keep it burning continuously so they could see. And Jesus is the true light for us that um, opens the way so that we, could, we are not in spiritual darkness anymore. So this lampstand is a beautiful picture of him. And he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Beautiful picture of Jesus. Now, the table of showbread. This is so neat. Um, this table is about three feet long, 18 inches wide. Small little table, and it had 12 loaves of bread on it. One for each of the tribes. And they made this bread in a special way. They ground the flour finer than any other bread they ever make. It was a special type of bread. He gave them a special recipe. And the reason they talked about grinding that flour to that point, it really spoke to controlling our will, grinding down our will so that we are obedient and submissive. And so they made that special bread, had it there all week long. And then on the Sabbath day, the priest would eat it. They'd eat the bread, and they'd bring in a whole new set of 12 loaves of bread. It was always in the Lord's presence. That's why the table of showbread is also called the presence table. And it speaks about this whole picture of having communion with the Lord. He wanted to commune with us. So he set up this way, you know, and, and, and it's always just been a part of, of human nature that if we want to have communion with someone, we sit down and we share something. We share a meal, we share a cup of coffee, whatever it is. We just sit down and it's a way to help us break bread together, and commune and have relationship. That's what the Lord did with this. It was, his, it was a, a way of saying, I want to have you in my presence. And it was called the, the table of presence, the bread of presence, so that we could enter into his invitation to have relationship with him. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He gave us a great picture of this on his last, the last thing he did with his disciples uh, before he was crucified. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. So Jesus is speaking back to this very thing. God wants to have relationship with you, and we're breaking. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. 
This is my body. I think it also speaks to us about the importance of having fellowship within the bride of Christ, the church. That's why it's so important to be part of a local church. That we're having godly relationships. That people we can sit down and break bread together with. Be accountable to. They can be accountable to us. Connect groups. All of those things. That's all part of that communion that God wants His, His body to be in communion with each other and with Him. Beautiful picture. Then we look at the golden altar of incense. So this is right in front of the, uh, the veil, the curtain. And it was a golden altar of incense. And they were told, he gave them a special recipe for the incense. Everything was detailed and, and there were recipes for everything. And then the, the, the priest was to light that in the morning and light it in the evening. Same time they're lighting the candle. And to keep a constant flow of incense going up to, he, to heaven. This was representative of the prayers of the people. This was the altar that when they brought the blood, the blood from the sacrifice in and brought it in, they put it on the horns of that altar. So those, that blood was actually uh, providing a covering for their, their prayers to be lifted to God in heaven and be precious and be, for him to cover over this, their sin and receive their prayers. So the golden altar really uh, was a beautiful symbol of our prayers and intercession. And, and one of the things that we read in Isaiah is, John quoted earlier, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So this was a primary point in the holy place right next to the veil before the Holy of Holies. Jesus also spoke about how he intercessed when he was tabernacling with us. When he was walking on earth, he was praying for people, right? Praying for the sick, praying for others, ministering. And then he said, I'm going to the Father to intercede for you. And he continues to intercede for us today. Christ, who, Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us today. This is another picture of the, that comes from that golden altar. The intercession and prayers of Jesus that make us ready to come into God's presence. Then we go into the Holy of Holies. And I'm moving very quickly here. And there's, we could get into so much detail on each of these things. It's a beautiful study. And I really highly recommend it to any of you that like to study in these types of things. It's a beautiful picture of God's love for us. But the Holy of Holies, this is interesting. It's uh, 15 feet wide, 15 feet long, and 15 feet tall. It was a perfect cube. And it was behind the veil. So we have the veil opened here so you can see into it. And the only thing in there was the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. So we t- the, on the, um, the, 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 the idea of the perfect cube... Um, this, t- this is called the wilderness tabernacle that we're, we're looking at today. Then they built the Solomon's temple in Jerusalem years later. And it was built after this same pattern, only larger. So, so we have this, this uh, the Holy of Holies here was 15-foot cube. When it went to Solomon's temple, it became a much larger cube, but it was still a cube. And then when we go to Revelation, we see a picture of the city of God, which is also a cube. And all of these speak to God, showing us a progression. The city of God is God's throne. That's where God's throne is when we're in heaven. And this is a picture of his throne here on earth with us. 
which grew as it went into Solomon's temple and then becomes the city of God, which is much, much bigger. He's trying to help us understand who he is. You know, he's so far beyond us, but he gives us these pictures so that we can start to try in some small way to comprehend our God and, and what he's doing. But that symbolizes the throne room of God. And that's all separated off with this curtain, the veil that you see here. Now, the veil was made of linen, and it was blue and purple and scarlet, just as the front gate was. And it had pictures of cherubim on it, the ministering angels, because God's surrounded with ministering angels, and he uses those as he ministers to his people, and it shows of his authority. But the thing about the veil is, that I really like is what the meaning is, and it really means it's a screen. It's called a screen or a separator that hides something. And what it was there for was to really hide God from the sin that was in man. Because he can't, his presence cannot, cannot commune and dwell with sin. So he puts up this separator. But the thing that's really neat about it is, is that he does um, prepare a way for man to enter into that. And that was the high priest. If anybody went into the Holy of Holies at any time, they would die as they came into God's presence. Remember how God had to hide Moses, put him in the cleft of the rock, and had to cover his hand over him so he wouldn't see him. So man could not go in here. The only high priest to go in once, one day out of the year. And the high priest would go in on the Day of Atonement. Remember, we talked about atonement was to cover, to cover over. So the high priest would, would be able to go into that. What he would do is on the Day of Atonement, he would fill the Holy of Holies with, with incense. Fill it so that it was just totally covered so he couldn't see. And then he would go into the Holy of Holies, and we have the tabernacle, or the, um, the, um, the um, ark with the mercy seat on top of it, the seat of atonement. And he would sprinkle the blood of, lamb, of, of bulls, which would cover him and his family as the priestly family. And then he would sprinkle the blood of rams and sheep uh, for the people of Israel. And he would place that on the mercy seat. And that would bring the atonement, the blood-covering sacrifice. And you'll see here in a minute why that was so critical. But that was, a, that was a picture of how God allowed man to enter into his presence to cover the sin of, of his people so he could have relationship with them. And we see here that, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, let us draw near to God, with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Now, see, here's the picture. You got this veil. Now, remember I said this was a picture of Solomon's temple. The veil in Solomon's temple was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, 4 inches thick. The, the day Jesus went to, to the cross for us, you remember the veil was ripped. And it said, the Bible tells us it was ripped from the top to the bottom had to be ripped by God, not by a man. Jesus is on the cross. The veil is ripped. And he says, it is finished. What he's saying is finished is this separation, this veil that keeps man from entering God's presence. No longer. I've, proved, I've, I've provided the utmost, the, the highest sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. And because of his obedience and his authority, the veil was ripped, and now man can enter into God's presence. 
Is that an incredible picture? As I just you visualize that, I mean, visualize these, like one of these screens back here, I don't even know how long that is, but that would just, that thing is just ripped. It was four inches thick. It gives you a whole new understanding when you say it is when you hear Jesus saying it is finished. Because this is really the, the 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 central point of God's plan of redemption that runs from Genesis to Exodus. It was a central point. This is what the whole thing was, and it laid on that that obedience and submission that Jesus showed us. Now, in the ark, and I'm gonna have to move very quickly here. But this is critical. So in the ark, God said, put three things. One was a pot of manna. The manna was what God was feeding them when they were in the desert, right? And if you remember, they were unthankful. They whined and they cried. And they said, give us something else. We can't handle this. He said, put a pot of manna in the ark. I want you to remember that you were not thankful for what I gave you. The second thing that he said was, to put in the ark was Aaron's rod. Then remember here, uh, they were they were all complaining. We think our tribe, there were 12 tribes, we think our tribe should be the Levites, should be the, the priests, not the Levites, should be the priests. And they were all arguing, why do, why do the Levites get to be the priests? And God said, okay, take 12 sticks, write the names of each tribe on them, put them down here before my ark, and I'll give you your answer in the morning. And the next morning, Aaron's rod, Aaron's staff, the, the, the staff with the Levites, had blossomed, filled with, with flowers and almonds. The others were 11 dead sticks. God said, these are the Levites. These are the priests. Put that in the, in the ark. I want the people to remember that they argued with me and they, they rebelled against everything I was saying to them. Then he had the Ten Commandments. Put the Ten Commandments in the ark. You remember God gave the Ten Commandments to Israel to say, this is how I want you to, to follow and obey these commandments so that we can come into relationship. And we couldn't do it. Man couldn't do it. And God sent plagues to them, and he sent natural disasters. He sent foreign armies. He sent many ways to try to get their attention because they couldn't obey. They wouldn't obey the commands that he gave them in the Ten Commandments. So he said, put those in there as a remembrance that they're a stiff-necked people. That's what's in the ark. Indiana Jones had it wrong. God was not in the box. He was sitting on top of the mercy seat. God sits on the mercy seat. It was from there that the, the cl- pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire um, initiated, right on the mercy seat. And you can say, wow, that's a depressing thing. He had, got, he had them put those three things in the ark. That's depressing. But the good news is, He had the covenant, the mercy seat over the top of it, covered with the blood. He couldn't see the sins of man anymore because he covered them with the mercy seat and the covering of the blood sacrifices. And Jesus is our covenant. Jesus is our mercy seat. He's our atonement. God doesn't see those things anymore. That's why we can walk today understanding all of this and say, My God. The Lord has prepared such a beautiful plan for me, for my family, for those that will listen and and be obedient. I'm just, I was really struck because I I was thinking, I was reminded 
during worship about this, this. It was an intense feeling the Lord gave me at our Thanksgiving dinner. I didn't even share it. But the impact that my decision 43 years ago had on three kids, the spouses they chose, nine grandkids, and it just goes on and on. That's how important our decisions are. We always talk a lot about, you know, if you have a pool of water and you throw a rock in there, you think, okay, the rock is my sin. If I throw a rock in there, you know, the rock falls. It's, not a, it's my sin. It's not a big deal. But that rock sends out rings and rings and rings that affect other people. Things I do affect other people. They affect you. I'm around you. They affect my family. Decisions I make. Same for all of us. And I think that God's really calling each of us to a place, and I think that, that what you see in this teaching today is we need to come to a place where we say, what are the things that I need to be reevaluating? What changes do I need to make? Maybe there aren't any. What things can I do to help me come closer into this relationship with the Lord that He's desiring? See, that's the whole thing. He didn't say, if you desire. He said, I desire to have a relationship with each one of you. Now it's up to us to desire to have a relationship and come in His presence. Please bow your heads. Lord, I pray for each of us here today. You would just speak to us. What things in our life do, I, do we need to change? What things do I need to change? So I can be a more obedient, submissive child of God. So I can walk in the calling that you have on my life. So I can be transformed into the image that you have for me. For my, my identity. What changes do I need to make? What do I need to do so I can enter into a deeper relationship with you? Am I stuck at the altar? Have I gotten into the, into the labor and I'm in the Word, but have I gone beyond that to really sitting in your presence, in your light? Is my prayer life where it needs to be? I think it can be really helpful in your, in your devotion time to kind of walk through each of those steps and evaluate where you're at so that you can come up to the place where the veil has been ripped open and enter into the presence of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We thank Gary.